Wow, that's got to be one of my all-time favorite songs, The Reckless Love. It's like his love is so amazing that it's, it's reckless, it's overbearing, and it doesn't depend on our responding and returning it. It still goes out to each and every one of us, and, and uh, we're all the recipients of that love. It's amazing. We've read all the stories. We've seen the drama played out on television or the movies. We've even read about it in the newspaper or online. Some fortunate soul receives a letter stating, you are the only heir of Ruben Labanovich. Since Ruben, a multimillionaire and distant relative of yours has passed away, you have inherited his entire estate. You may have dreamed of just such a moment when all your troubles are over. You have no worries because money, of course, is the answer to everything. Inheritance. Inheritance. Today we're going to talk about inheritance. Inheritance. Only this inheritance is far greater than any estate or any amount of money. It's longer lasting than any possessions that we have. It's more valuable than Microsoft, Google, or Apple stock options. And actually, this particular inheritance costs more, and it's for everybody. Everybody. Today, we're going to look at this is your inheritance. And I want to invite you to turn to Joshua, the 11th chapter. Joshua 11. We're going to read just one verse this morning from Joshua. Joshua 11, verse... 23. It's on page 178 if you want to read it in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Joshua 11.23 says, So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. If you look at the rest of Joshua, from chapter here from here through chapter 19 it's a record of God dividing up the land and giving it to the people of God the people of Israel as an inheritance it's their inheritance and and I just want to take some time to unpack what that concept meant back then and what it means to us today what was inheritance to the people in the ancient text how is it attained or how is it received? And so what? What difference does it make to us today? What made inheritance possible in the first place? Well, what made inheritance possible for them and to us today is, first of all, that God promised it. God promised it. Roman numeral one, what God promises, he delivers. What God promises, he delivers. In verse 23, it says, just as the Lord had directed Moses. God spoke it, he promised it, and God came through. Don't you, don't you love people that are, who keep their word? People who, who promise something. The auto mechanic says, this is how much this repair will cost and no more. The salesman guarantees this sales price. Or the government promises lower taxes. Okay, some things just don't happen. That's a different thing. Or the politician promises something for everybody and, of course, for free. We have a God who keeps his word. And this whole promise thing, as we look back in the history of the Old Testament, began years before God made a promise to Abraham. 
He started with Abraham, then his son Isaac, then to Jacob, and finally to the leader of the Israelite nation, Moses. He said, I will give you this land to possess. He says, this will be your inheritance. And now it comes to pass through God's miraculous intervention and leadership because what God promises, he delivers. The Israelites had driven into the middle of Canaan. They had had this southern conquest and northern conquest. And now, aside from some mopping up that they had to do, they basically controlled the whole land of Canaan. They had victory. Why did they have victory? Because what God promised, he delivered. Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, in the Old Testament was the one through whom God accomplished this promise. Joshua was the leader, and God used him to lead these people into these inheritances. And Joshua is called a type of Christ, which foreshadows the Messiah, foreshadowing. Now, in literature, books and movies and TV shows, there's a literary device called foreshadowing. It's called foreshadowing. And if you're perceptive enough and look closely at it, it hints about what is to come. And for some reason, my wife Judy always knows who done it. She always says, that's the person that's gonna be guilty at the end. I said, don't tell me. I wanna wait till I find out. She's always right. She has this perceptive and understanding of foreshadowing. She picks up things I don't pick up. Well, Joshua foreshadowed Jesus. See, God accomplished his victory over the enemy through Joshua bringing his people into their inheritance. Centuries later, God accomplished victory over the enemy bringing Jesus and bringing his people into their inheritance. There's a parallel, the, the continuity between the Old and the New Testament, Joshua and Jesus. Jesus came, he lived, he died on our behalf, and he rose again. See, what God promised, he delivered. Now that particular promise about Jesus was first given in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, the 15th verse. After Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they've been deceived by the serpent, the devil, and God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, Jesus, will crush your heel, your head, your head, which is a fatal wound, and you, Satan, will strike his heel, wounded but not fatal. That was the first of many promises of what God was going to do, and we are the recipients of that promise way back in Genesis 3, 15. Joshua's victory in Canaan was a necessary prerequisite to inheritance. They had to win before they could have their inheritance. And Jesus' victory on the cross at Calvary is the necessary prerequisite for our inheritance today. What God promises, he delivers. So what? So what? What? What, what, is this, what is this inheritance and how do I get it? Let's look at Roman numeral two, the inheritance of God's people. What, what is this stuff about inheritance? First, let's define inheritance. Inheritance is defined as ownership by virtue of relationship. Ownership by virtue of relationship. I, inheritance is not something we earn. It comes and becomes ours because of our birth. We're related. In the Old Testament, it was a gift to be received, not a right to be attained. In the Old Testament, inheritance was 
gained by virtue of relationship. A father's possessions and his land were passed on to his children. They didn't do anything to earn it. They were born. They were born into it. In the same way, in the New Testament, we get the New Testament, our inheritance is gained by virtue of relationship. Relationship. I'm going to run through a bunch of passages, and we have a lot of scriptures that we're going to look at today. I write them down so that you can look at them later if you miss anything. I know you never miss anything, but just in case, okay? So John 1, 11 to 13 says this. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Those who believe in Jesus, who receive Jesus Christ, says become children of God. They're not born of flesh and blood, but born of God. This is the being born again spiritually, born spiritually. In John 3, the very famous passage, the time when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, it says, in reply, verse three, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. This is the the birth that gives us inheritance. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It says, God chose us, God predestined us and he adopted us as his children. And by virtue of this act of God, we become sons and daughters of God. In Romans 8, 16 to 17, it says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We're God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Wow. Amazing passage that we, we are children of God, we're heirs of God, we're co-heirs with Christ. Inheritance, heirs, that has to do with inheritance. Inheritance is given, not taken. It's not earned, but it's received. And this happens by virtue of our relationship, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's relationship. One more passage to drive this home. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Wow, inheritance. And this inheritance isn't like Ruben Labanovich's inheritance. This is more valuable than any earthly inheritance we could ever imagine. God brings our birth He brings about our birth. God makes us sons and daughters. And God is the one who gives us all good things. Our inheritance. In Joshua, each family was to possess their inheritance. It was given. had to be received. It had to be appropriated. It had to be lived on. Said, this is your inheritance. There's the land. Go for it. It's like staking a claim out in the West. You had to actually go live there and work the land and actually be there. You had to possess the inheritance or the, the gift. 
And today, we must also personally appropriate what God has given us. God has offered us this inheritance. It's been offered, but we must receive it, or it's meaningless. It's meaningless. So what do we, what do we stand to inherit that's so valuable? You know, we're talking about inheritance, and it's kind of this, what does that mean? What is this whole thing? Inheritors, co-heirs of Christ, what does all this mean? We're going to look at what inheritance is. Now, this is not exhaustive. It's illustrative. But I want to talk about a few things that this is your inheritance, okay? If you're in Jesus Christ, you've given your life, or you're thinking about it, this is what God will give to you as your inheritance. First of all, there's a, a pl- number one, a place to belong. A place to belong. This has to do with the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the people who are poor in spirit or humble themselves before God, admit need and give their lives to him through Jesus, become part of God's kingdom. It's part of God's rule. You're part of God's country. In other words, they become citizens. That's, that's another way to talk about sonship or daughtership or whatever. We become citizens. And because of that citizenship in the kingdom of God, there's a place to belong. Uh, There's a place to become a part of. There's a place to serve. There's a place to find meaning and and meaningful service. There's a purpose. There's a family. There's a community. You know, people today are looking for a place to belong. I talk to people all the time. It's like they don't know where they belong necessarily. They have have their workplace and they have uh, the gym they work out at and they shop at this place and they do this and they do that. And... And many of them just don't seem to have a place where they say, I belong somewhere. We need acceptance. We need to find a place where we fit. Who are my true friends? Life can be lonely. Who who can we connect with? Our inheritance includes a place to belong. And the, the local expression of that place to belong is the local church. This isn't churchianity and this isn't a push for church attendance. This is, it's a place to belong. God grants us a place to belong. And the local expression, as he set it up, the book of Acts, he set it up as the local church. Now, we're not the only church. There are a lot of churches around. But finding a place to belong. And every one of us belongs somewhere. And that's part of our inheritance. Number two, there's a a place to possess, a place to possess. The earth or the land. Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth or land represents viable sustenance. It's like this permanent possession. Now, the land in the Old Testament was not only a geographical inheritance, it was an economic inheritance. When you study how they use the land and why they needed land, It was an agrarian culture, and the land provided for all the needs of the people. And without land, you had nothing. You had no means of support, no sustenance. The land, the earth, was a place to possess, a place to live. And God, in the same way, promises to provide for all of our needs, all of our sustenance, everything we need. It's a place to possess. And then God gives us something more valuable that cannot be lost or taken away. This is your inheritance. Number three, salvation. Salvation. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits 
set to serve those who will inherit salvation. This speaks of believers who inherit salvation. Now, now, we do not inherit salvation from our parents, okay? God has no grandchildren, only children, as it said. We all can have, and are supposed to have, intended to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. It's, it's part of the inheritance, a relationship. And when we are born again, spiritually reborn, salvation becomes our inheritance, our possession. Now, what is salvation? We hear about that, I was saved, or salvation. What, what does that mean? Salvation is simply deliverance. Deliverance, you get saved from something. I read in the news about a, a boat that had capsized out in the Puget Sound off the coast of uh, Washington and a ferry boat diverted from its route and came to rescue the people that were going to perish. The crew saved them from the consequences of the boating accident, which would have been death, okay? So what were they saved from? They were saved from the consequences of their actions, okay? They were helpless, they needed to be saved, saved. One of, one of the funnier articles was reading about a criminal who had, was on the run from police and he drove out into the mud flats in Puget Sound. His car got stuck, so he got out and he tried to go and by the time he got any further, he was like chest deep in mud. And so uh, he just waited there till a fire crew saved him. Saved him from the consequences of his behavior, his actions. Salvation is for us to save us from the consequences of our actions. What are our actions? What are our actions? I don't know if you've done anything that needs salvation from. <laughs> it's called sin, okay? I'll just be simple. Salvation from sin. For Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. When it says all, it means, in the original Greek, it means all, okay? Just so you know. All means all. We've all sinned. And that, what that does is it puts us all on a level playing field. Nobody can stand up and say, I'm better than you, or you're better than me, or I'm worse than you, whatever. All of sin. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God, this relationship, and separation from our inheritance, what he intended to have. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, God wants to restore this relationship, this seeking reckless God, this reckless love of God that pursues us. And God wants to give us that inheritance. So he gives us salvation from sin, whether it's past, present, or future. And we inherit it. It's part of our inheritance. We inherit it, though, on the basis of God's work, not ours. Inheritance is a gift. It's not earned any more than we earn the right to be born into our respective family. I worked really hard to be born of my parents and become a Nordvet. No, we, we don't do anything. Our birth happens. Our birth happens, okay? It's not earned. We had nothing to do with our physical birth. And we have nothing to do with our spiritual birth, just acceptance. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And what do we do with a gift? Somebody offers you a gift, let me say, um, well, let, me, let me pay for that. 
No, no, this, this is a gift. We, we don't pay for gifts. A gift is a gift. Now, we have a hard time accepting gifts sometimes. We want to pay. But no, if somebody offers you a gift, the only thing we can do is accept. You can't pay for it. It's a gift. You just accept it. Salvation is a gift. The inheritance is a gift. It's already paid for. Jesus paid for it. All we do is accept it. Salvation, not earned, just accepted. Now, so this is your inheritance, a place to belong, a place to possess, it's salvation, and fourth, glory. Glory. Say, great, I've always, I've always wanted glory. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about winning a Super Bowl ring or an Emmy or Grammy or CMA statuette. And glory isn't for netting the largest contract in NFL history or even being inducted into the... Hall of Fame, okay? That's not about glory. The glory we inherit is not this shallow flattery or this thing saying how great we are. That's not what I'm talking about. The glory that we're talking about is the glory of the character and person of God. The character and person, what does that mean? Romans eight fifteen to 17 says, for you did not receive a gift that make, makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, here's the key word, key phrase, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Glory through suffering. Great, that's all I wanted. You know, that's what I... I, this is the part, I, I, I don't know if I want this part of my inheritance, if it comes to suffering. I don't want glory, just, you know, I'll just, yeah. Glory, through suffering. Suffering produces glory. Say it another way, tough times produce character. Tough times produce character. And as we submit to God's hand of testing, we will be conformed into the image of God into being more like God. Someone once said, the only shortcut to maturity is suffering. The only, only one shortcut to maturity is suffering. When you think about how precious metals are made, gold, for instance, is purified by intense heat. Diamonds are purified by intense pressure. Someone said this, and this is in your notes. I think it's brilliant. It's, I didn't say this, somebody else did. A diamond is just a lump of coal that did well under pressure. A diamond is just a lump of coal that did well under pressure. Some of you are here this morning, you know what I'm talking about, intense heat or intense pressure. Suffering produces character. Then we become God-like. We don't become God, we become God-like because we begin to reflect his character and his beauty. Now we hear today, we're the essence of God or we're the extension of God, discover the God in you. No, that's pantheism, that's Eastern mysticism. We are not gods, but God, the one true God, lives inside of us by his Holy Spirit. And as he lives inside of us, he transforms us into his image or his character. And the more we become more like him, the more we reflect his glory. Someone said champions are not made in the ring. They are only recognized there. Champions are made in the gym where nobody is watching and no one is there to cheer. 
Let me say that again. Champions are not made in the ring. They're only recognized there. Champions are made in the gym where nobody is watching and no one is there to cheer. And we can grow as we submit ourselves more and more of ourselves to God, the Holy Spirit, the more we become God-like. The term most often used for this is sanctification, which is being more and more like Jesus. There's a vast difference between being God-like and being God. Don't confuse the two. We are not God. And that's a good day that we recognize that we are not God. We are, but we are and can be God-like and be transformed into the image of God. And as part of our inheritance, we will be glorified in the ultimate sense in the future. We will, see, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That's when we have the rapture of all saints. That's a whole another sermon. So this is your inheritance. Glory. Glory. Number five. What is our inheritance? Resurrection life. Resurrection life. 1 Corinthians 15 says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you, mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That talks about the rapture. That's, that's another time we can talk about it. But basically, there will come a time when those who are Christians, they've gone on, they've died before, they'll be raised up. Those who remain will be brought up into that. And we will be raised into immortality. Immortality. How many people would just pay their entire fortune for immortality. Immortality. To live forever. Or maybe if they can't live forever, they'll freeze themselves and wait till they find a, a cure for old age. Or maybe they can clone themselves. In an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger, he stated, I would like to be cloned. I said, sorry, one of us each is enough. Thank you. I mean, that's just enough. It's quite enough. Now, we don't have to pay anything for immortality. It's part of our inheritance, part of the package. We inherit it. We inherit it. Now, some people say, how do you know? How do you know for sure? This is your inheritance. Number six is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. One of the most incredible concepts. In Ephesians 1, it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Whoa. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance till the redemption of those who are in God's possession, till the praise of his glory. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is a pledge, a deposit, the assurance, the guarantee. It's like an earnest. Judy and I, over the, la over the last 38 years or whatever, we, we ended up buying three houses as we moved. And every time we purchased a house, we put down earnest money. How many of you put down earnest money? Okay, it says, I'm earnest, I'm serious. That's what it is. Earnest is a part of the money for the purchase, and it guarantees that the rest of the money will follow. Okay, this is earnest money. I'm not putting the whole amount, I'm just putting this much. Earnest means the rest of it's going to follow. It's part of a payment. What follows will be in kind or just like it, only more. When we receive Jesus Christ and are born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And he says, that's the guarantee, that's the deposit, that's the earnest money. 
Are we, are we perfect? No. Have we arrived? No. But that deposit, that earnest, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of what is to come. Wow. We get this guarantee. Guarantee. It says you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Past tense, it's actually at the aorist tense, which means it's past, happened at a point in time, has present ongoing results. Okay? That's all the Greek you need to know. Okay? But that basically, when it says you were sealed, it means it happened at some point in time and has ongoing results forever because you were given the Holy Spirit to guarantee your inheritance of eternal life. Immortality, living forever. It doesn't get any more certain than that. It just doesn't. Number seven, part of your inheritance is a covenant love relationship. Covenant love relationship. I'm going to just read a few verses from Deuteronomy, seventh chapter. Six, uh, chapter six through nine, or verses six through nine. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. He's talking to Israel. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. God is a, is a God of a love covenant. He keeps his covenant to the thousandth generation of those who love him and keep his commandments. It's called the faithful God. And that relationship, that love covenant, that agreement that he made with them is also part of our inheritance today. It's part of our inheritance. And no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, God is faithful and he will bring it to pass. The faithful God. Finally, a great part of our inheritance is rest. Rest. Say, good, I need rest this Sunday. Rest. 11.23 says, the land had rest from war. Rest is the primary result of victory. It's not the rest of exhaustion, not the rest of inactivity, but the rest of fulfillment, the rest of peace, the rest of total possession. Now, what the land was for Israel, as we, as we look in the book of Joshua, Jesus Christ is for us today. They had the land, they were settled, they were finally there. They had all this as part of the inheritance. And for us today, Jesus Christ is that possession. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. Do you need rest today? The rest of relationship, the rest of peace with God. It's part of your inheritance. Part of your inheritance. It denotes victory over sin, the results of past sin, present sin, or future sin. This is your inheritance. How much of this inheritance will you possess? What God promises, he delivers. Your inheritance 
a place to belong, a place to possess, salvation, glory, resurrection life, the Holy Spirit, covenant love, relationship, and rest, and much, much more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us incredible inheritance and that we possess it now. And I pray, God, that you would help us to live within that. And Lord, those that are uncertain whether they have this relationship, that, that they would realize they just are to confess their sins and say, Jesus, I need you. And I open the door of my life and ask you to become my Lord and Savior. I accept the gift that Jesus died for me and was resurrected. And I believe in his resurrection. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that no one would leave today without knowing for sure that they have that, that inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we?